Welcome to the City on a Hill podcast. We are a Catholic young adult ministry located in Kansas City with a mission to be the community that inspires and forms our generation to be saints. Father Mattingly, director and chaplain of City on a Hill, is also an associate pastor at a local parish. Listen in to a recent Sunday homily of his and let it build you up in your pursuit of sainthood. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of City on a Hill. Hello there, this is Father Mattingly. Just as an FYI, these homilies will only be posted on the City on a Hill podcast until the end of October 2021, after which you can only find them on a new podcast called Padres Points. Padres Points. So just look that up, and at the end of October, that is the only place you will be able to find these podcasts, plus various meditations and other random things that I post. So, hope you find your way over there before too long. God bless you. Well, as I was looking over the readings for this Sunday, um, it was actually the responsorial psalm that caught my attention the most. I, uh, I don't think in six years of priesthood and preaching, I don't know if you count daily masses, probably 1,800 homilies at this point. I don't think I've ever <laughs> preached on the psalm, on the responsorial psalm. So the fact that it caught my attention, I said, oh, I think this will be a good good opportunity to, 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 to give this a go for the first time. Both the refrain and the stanzas of this psalm really kind of caught my eye. So if you're listening closely, the refrain was, the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. The Lord has done great things for us and we are, we are filled with joy. So a question that should or could spring from this particular psalm verse is, where is the source of joy in each of our, our lives coming from? Like on the days when we're most joyful, what is it exactly that is causing our joy? What is the, what is the source of my joy? Real Christian joy springs from exactly what this psalm says, from knowing what God has done for me. That's where real Christian joy comes from. Not, not, not from things that are happening circumstantially among my family or friends or in the culture out in the world. Real Christian joy comes from knowing in a, in a deep and intimate way what God has done for me. So if somebody were to come up to you and just ask you point blank, what has God done for you in your life? If that question, if, if you weren't able to answer that question with a certain amount of ease and quickness, there's some reflection there that needs to be done. <laughs> we should all be able to answer that question very easily. Someone comes up, what, is, what has God done for you in your life? We, we should be able to rattle off immediately some massive things <laughs> that the Lord has has done for us in our life. And if we can't do that, we need to exercise our memory a little bit and, 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 and meditate on the role that the Lord has played in, in each of our lives. And in particular, there are sort of certain gigantic things that the Lord has done for all of us. And I really just want to kind of highlight one of those in particular today. And it's going to sound almost so obvious as to be absurd, but it's it's quite important and quite profound. Namely, the first thing obviously that God ever did for any of us was to create us. 
right? This alone, if you meditate on God choosing to create you and to create me, should be a source of massive amounts of joy, right? When we think about who God is and, and the act of creation and specifically his creation of, of each of us individually, right? We know that God is self-sufficient unto himself. He doesn't require the created universe. He doesn't need any of us, right? He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existing in, in this perfect bond of love between them. He didn't need to create the universe. He didn't need to create us. So the only plausible reason for his creation of the universe and for each of, each of you individually was because he wanted you. The, the only explanation for it is, is a, an act of total freedom on God's part and love that, that he wanted you to exist and that he wanted me to exist. This is such an important thing for us to realize. God didn't need me, but he wanted me. And it, it may sound a bit disappointing when we first hear, oh, God doesn't need me, but it's actually much more consoling to know that he doesn't need me, but he wants me, right? That is, that is a much more consoling thought. I was, um, I've gotten to know the last couple years a priest who's over on the, on the KCK side. Some of you, I think, m maybe know him, Father Edward Ahn. Um, great man, and he shared with me um, several months ago this little outline of a, a kind of talk that he gives when he's kind of explaining how to do like a good examination of conscience. And in a part of it, he describes this, um, this experience in prayer that he had when he was a freshman in college, where he was kind of like struggling to sort of like receive God's love. And, and um, I don't have it with me, but he, he basically describes how the Lord took him in his imagination in this prayer to the, the moments immediately prior to his conception in his mother's womb, right? So the Lord, and, and the Lord kind of revealed to him in, the, in this prayer that he knew everything that, that Edward would do in his whole life, right? All his sins, all the good deeds, he, he, he knew everything ahead of time. And if, if God had thought to himself, you know, like, it's, it's not worth it to, to create this, this person, he, he could have just as well not created Edward. Right? He could have decided, oh, it's not worth it, like I'm not going to create it, because nobody was kind of strong-arming him into, in, into creating this, this new person, Edward, right? Nobody was strong-arming God into creating him. So God saw everything that he would do in his whole life, and he thought to himself, I want Edward to exist. I, I want to create this man. I want him for his own sake. And kind of in this reflection, he goes on to talk about how that's sort of the most secure place we can ever find ourselves in our life is knowing that God loves me unconditionally. He chose to create me even knowing all the, all the ways that I would offend him and, and so on. He chose to create me anyway. That's that's radical, unconditional love at the root of our very existence. And that should give us a joy that you can't find anywhere in the world, right? Knowing that God wanted me to exist for my own sake, apart from my, my actions and, and, and inactions and so on, 
That is a profoundly consoling thing that should give rise to an extraordinary amount of joy. Often, I think in today's culture, I'll meet people, even people who are really trying to live the faith well, um, who maybe without realizing it, maybe with realizing it to some degree, base their joy on things outside of their control, on things happening in the culture or in their family or whatever. Um, and those things can give us joy. They can also give us sadness. But they can't, they can't be the foundation of our joy. They just can't. Um, if we make those things the foundation of our joy, we're going to go through life living from a place of insecurity, like wondering, you know, like feeling like happiness and joy are sort of beyond my, my control, beyond my purview, that it's, it's up to these sort of circumstantial factors in my life. Um, it's not a secure way to live. Uh, it's not a way to live consistent, consistent joy. Right, so we need to make sure that the source of our joy are things that are unchanging. God wants me for myself. His love is unconditional. He adopted me into his family at baptism, and he's never going to take that back. He's never going to say, oh, that was a mistake. Like, I'm going to take back my decision to adopt you into my family as my son or daughter. He's never going to take that back. The fact that his mercy is free and available to us in the sacrament of confession anytime we want it. I was talking to somebody the other day who, <laughs> who said he, um, he saw a guy coming out of confession we hadn't seen in a while. And he was like, hey, how's it going? And, and the guy's like, I'm doing great. The Father's handing out free grace over there. <laughs> like, free mercy. Like, you know, that, <laughs> the fact that God's mercy is so available to us, that should give us extraordinary joy. Right? The Eucharist that he feeds us with himself. All these, all these things that God has done for us that he doesn't take back. Right? He's, he's not all of a sudden one day going to say like, you've hit your quota of like mercy and confession, like no more for you, right? That's not how he works. So the, the reason we have joy is because God has, has, has given us good things. He's done great things for us and continues to do great things for us. Our joy can't be founded on anything else. If it is, it's going to fall apart. It's, it's, it's going to totally fall apart. And if we keep going in this psalm, a, a kind of wonderful thing happens uh, in the second stanza where um, we read that after, and it's describing Israel being brought back from captivity in Babylon, right? And so the next stanza says, Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for Israel. They said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for Israel. What happens when all of us live from a place of profound joy for what God has done for us, is that it becomes a witness for other people. They see the joy and they're like, wow, God must have done something great for that person. Right? We, can, we can change out some of the words in this psalm, uh, call it an alternate translation. We could say, then they said among Kansas City, the Lord has done great things for those Catholics at Good Counsel. Like, that's what we want to happen. That's, that's what should happen if we are basing our joy in what God has done for us and we're living from that 
place each and every day. Then they said among Kansas City, the Lord has done great things for those Catholics down in Westport. Right, that, that's what should be happening, right? That's what should be happening. If that's not happening, if the joy with which you live your life isn't evident to other people, meditate on these things. Meditate on what God has done for you. Too often we get trapped into maybe looking too much ahead and thinking what, what we would like the Lord to do for us in three months, in a year, in five years. We need to exercise our memory and, and look backwards a little more and, and realize what God has already done for us. He's given us His Son in a whole variety of ways. And if He's given us His Son, He's given us everything. Right? We lack nothing. That should fill us with, with, a, with a joy that's absolutely unshakable. That, that's unaffected by, by other things happening around us. And if we live from that place, people will notice. They will begin to say to themselves, the Lord has done great things for that person. Maybe He can do great things for me too. Right? This, is, this is what we want. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the City on a Hill podcast. Please subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and leave a review so others will come across our content. If City on a Hill has been a gift to you, consider joining our mission by making a monthly gift. Learn more at kansascityonahill.org slash donate. Be your best and strive to be a saint.